This episode of Diffusion Science Radio is supported by you, the listener, when you visit audibletrial.com science to try Audible free for 30 days. Go to www.audibletrial.com science to receive your free audiobook today. Or make a donation directly on www.diffusionradio.com. The International Science Radio Show. We have a bouncer and the doors of perception. The good, the bad, the ugly. It gets pretty exciting. The myths, the truths. Toxicology. Astro seismology. Magnetism. The dark side. Genetically engineered potatoes. Planetoid. Planetoid. I love that word. <laughs> <laughs> Hello and welcome to Diffusion. Sit back and relax while we inject weird and wonderful science directly into your brain. I'm Ian Wolfe. On this special biohacking edition, Andreas C. Again talks about Indonesian citizen science, and Andrew Tuckwell designs living machines. But first up, here's the news. <laughs> Electronic temporary tattoos. Professor John Rogers has developed flexible electronic circuits that stick to the skin and monitor your health. Produced by his company, MC10. The Biostamp is a thin electronic mesh that stretches with the skin and can measure data from the brain, muscles and heart. It can also measure body temperature and hydration levels. To make normally rigid silicon-based electronics flexible, they print them in very small pieces, arranged in wavy patterns. The biostamp can be covered with spray-on bandage to make it more durable and waterproof enough to withstand sweating and showering. It stays on your skin for up to two weeks before the skin's natural exfoliation causes it to come away. The patch uses a thin film rechargeable battery. The team are now working on the integration of wireless power sources and communication systems to relay the information gathered to a smartphone. Their first product to market is a skullcap for athletes playing contact sports. Atomic force microscopes made from Lego. Affordable molecule level imaging for every school. In Beijing, Lego to Nano organised a team of students from the University College London with students from Tsinghua University, Peking University, Oxford University, and Singapore University of Technology and Design. Together, they developed and built a working atomic force microscope, made from Lego and Arduino microcontrollers, for under $500. This microscope can see things much smaller than an optical microscope can show. They completed a working model in just five days. Arduinos are hobbyists' microcontroller computers. An atomic force microscope normally costs hundreds of thousands of dollars, which makes access very restricted. Atomic force microscopes are like old-style record players in miniature, with a tiny needle on an arm that traces a micro-miniature object, and a laser that bounces off the arm. When you move a sample under the needle, the needle moves up and down around the shape of the object which moves the arm. The movement of the arm changes the laser light to build up a 3D picture of tiny things on the nanometer scale. That's 
a thousand millionths of a meter. They use parts custom made on 3D printers, bought from markets at Beijing's technology hub, or constructed from Lego or Make Blocks. Make Blocks are a do-it-yourself kit with motors, connectors, and Arduino microcontroller computers. They had a split quadrant photo detector and piezo actuators specially made, because you can't find those in the market. Piezo actuators move when an electric field is applied and were the most expensive part of the microscope. When 10 volts are applied by the Arduino microcontroller, the piezo actuators move the Lego scanning stage and the object on it just one micrometer at a time. The split quadrant photo detector records the changes in the reflected laser light to develop a three-dimensional scan of the object. The students hope to spread the atomic force microscopes to schools, hospitals and clinics around the world, getting high school students to help with ongoing scientific research as well as their own projects. The event was co-sponsored by the LEGO Foundation. Alice Pine from University College London has led a team that published the first paper based on images using the LEGO Atomic Force Microscope. They captured the first in-water image of the DNA helix structure. This is important because although salty water is the natural environment of the fundamental building block of life, we've previously only seen its images from dried samples using X-ray diffraction crystallography. Curiously, the team found and imaged a left-handed double helix, the exact opposite of that found by Watson, Crick and Franklin. The video of the Atomic Force Microscope in action will be embedded on www.diffusionradio.com. Cheap Atomic Force Microscopes will be a boon to do-it-yourself biohackers. Diffusion Science Radio. Send emails to science at diffusionradio.com. We're brought to you across Australia on the Community Radio Network and podcast over the internet on www.diffusionradio.com. This week I return to the Dorkbot Collective of Technological Artists who met at the College of Fine Arts in Paddington for the presentations of Biohackers. I joined them at the pub after their talks and spoke to them on the roadside outside the pub. You can hear some road noise in the background. Andreas Siagian is an artist engineer from Jogjakarta in Indonesia. He's involved with alternative education and creative communities. I began by asking him about his citizen science initiative. Pretty much we, we called ourselves a citizen initiative, which we have several people in different backgrounds and we're trying to do small scale activities which started from daily initiative with daily problems because the government doesn't deal with this so like we have a citizen science project called Jogja River project where it, the idea started that we just want to walk on the river and we want to know what it's like and we want to investigate the E. coli level 
the pollution level of uh, E. coli because there's many news saying that there's uh, contamination in the mineral water bottle and also uh, we want to prove that is it true that uh, our river is polluted so we we started that and we opened a facebook event like everyone do and then it grows that many other people have their own initiative and we try to combine it and then we're now because we don't know what we're doing actually <laughs> <laughs> so we asked several people that uh, have this uh, this background like microbiology lab is really helpful for us and they understood that that we need a guidance from the professional too but for us it's important that we do it ourselves because we want to understand how we do it and maybe with uh, these different people backgrounds we can make it simpler or we can distribute it to the community in Yogyakarta yeah and were you building microscopes as well yeah uh, the microscope was started actually from uh, Hacteria and 2009 they introduced us how you hack a webcam into a microscope it's more for in, uh, introduction for the people about microorganism it have 400 times magnification which is quite good and we tried it uh, when we when they give it this workshop we tried it in the professional lab and of course it, it couldn't uh, reach into the high-end microscope but it could still analyze like water flea, water bear, so it it have a sense to introduce to people like there's a bacteria if you if your water is contaminated or something like that. So we try to build our own stage, and it started with uh, my friend uh, Akbar. He's really into this microscope, and we're building the, the the kit so we can distribute to the community through workshop, or they can build it them, themselves. And you're also building synthesizers. Yeah, my personal, I like to build synthesizer, analog synthesizer, and uh, it's not a high-end technology, actually. It's, you can get it from the local store, J-Car, something like that, and you can build it yourself, yeah. And you had a project with synthesizers and moisture detectors. Yeah, it's a simple approach that you replace the resistance of uh, you can measure the resistance of uh, organic stuff uh, that have conduct conductivity and we we use that simple technology just to to distribute about uh, the knowledge about this uh, bio stuff yeah. and you had plants that were singing when they were happy <laughs> it's actually if you we, we put some water it's technically it's very simple if you have more water flowing into the soil, the conductivity go higher, and the resistance go lower. And we use that to and sonify it, so in order, like normal people could understand this this kind of approach. Very simple approach, yeah. And you're holding all sorts of workshops on the science of things, uh, so that people could make their own, also to do it yourself. Yeah, yeah. It's uh, for us the the workshop is the most important stuff because we. We want people to understand what, and also want people to get involved. And we don't want to, to be excluded from the community because every time science and technology is somehow considered as ex very exclusive, but it's not. And we have 
daily approaches on science and technology that could practical and you can do it yourself. Yeah. And where did you learn your electronics? YouTube. <laughs> Google and YouTube. <laughs> so you were able to learn enough to be able to build your own music synthesizers? Yes. All online? Yes, online. I have a civil engineer background, but I always interested in electronics. So I did some geeking <laughs> with Google and YouTube. And there's a lot of tutorials, and I also share what I discovered just from tutorials. So this open source and open information through the internet, and there's a big community that's doing this. And for us, it's important to share this because we learn from each other. So I'm also releasing some tutorials and giving some workshops about uh, what I learned. And for me personally, it's uh, when I when I share, I learn more. So it's also a, it's also a positive thing to pro I also gain something from giving. Yeah. And if people want to find out about your projects, where do they find you online? My collective have a website, lifepatch.org. I have a personal blog, andreasiagian.wordpress.com. And we have a Facebook, <laughs> of course. Facebook.com slash lifepatch. Twitter, lifepatch underscore. Pretty much de delivers most of the information there. Yeah. There's a, also, we also in uh, a part of uh, an international society of amateur scientists, we call it. <laughs> we are professional amateurs. We call it Hacteria.org. And we share all, all stuff, all that we can practically build ourselves and from accessible technology. This is our approach and we call it open source biological art. The wiki contains a lot of tutorials of how you can hack your stuff from your daily life and accessible technology. Andreas, thank you very much. Yeah, you're welcome. Thank you. <laughs> that was Andreas Siagian talking about Hacteria and the Citizen Science Initiative in Indonesia. I'll have links to all these websites on www.diffusionradio.com. It seems totally incredible to me now that everyone spent that evening as though it were just like any other. Next, I spoke with synthetic biology hacker Andrew Tuckwell. Andrew is an honours student at the Victor Chang Institute in Sydney. He ran the first Australian team in the Biomod Biomolecular Design Competition. We're taking the basic building blocks that life is made of, the basic molecules, so DNA, RNA, proteins, and uh, lipid bilayers, and uh, re-engineering them to, uh, to create novel systems and machines that can interact with biological systems with applications for, for medicine, energy, and materials. What does iGEM stand for? Oh, it's the International Genetically Engineered Machine Competition. It's another international competition run out of MIT and Boston in the States and it's, it's a competition encouraging undergraduates, uh, citizen scientists, high school students and, uh, and startup companies to uh, investigate uh, this new science called synthetic biology uh, which is a, it's a new approach to genetic engineering and gene science with an engineering ethos. Uh, essentially the idea is that we can break down uh, the genes which uh, control life and make them into standardized parts sort of in the same way that if you if you go and buy a, a screw 
or a bolt and a nut from, from Bunnings, you know that the nut is going to fit the bolt. It's going to have the same diameter and thread. Uh, so far in um, the biological sciences, that's not so, uh, not so often the case because of the great diversity of life. And the idea is in this competition is to apply this ethos to create standardized parts, standardized biological parts, which will, will have a predictable function um, and, and work the same way again and again. Have you designed these things? Have you made some machines? I participated in uh, the iGEM competition last year through the University of Sydney and we designed a, a bacteria which held a, a metabolic pathway that degraded chlorinated fluorocarbons, so um, no, CFCs, which uh, can pollute waterways and, and airways. This year I'm doing the Biomod competition which is the more structural molecular biodesign competition and I have only just started in the last couple of months. This is the first Australian team, which has been, uh, I'm very grateful that the Victor Chang Cardiac Research Institute is, uh, has supported this. Um, we're taking students from universities from around Sydney, and we're hoping um, that this will, this will be the start of a few teams um, coming from Australia. And you mentioned there's also competitions with DNA origami. Yeah, that's the, the Biomod competition. One of the the main techniques used in competitions is a technique called DNA origami, which is using DNA rather as a, an informational uh, molecule, which like codes for, for proteins, not so much using it as a, an information storage molecule, but actually using it as a physical structure and using the, the way that two DNA strands will, will bind to each other specifically depending on its, its sequence, uh, manipulating that and exploiting that to create uh, customized shapes but at a nanoscale. And you showed us a photo where someone's actually made a smiley face. Yeah that's right that's sort of like a canonical example of DNA origami um, made by a guy called I think it's Paul Rothmund and he's he's taken a piece of DNA and, and put in a few pieces of custom DNA that he's designed and the interactions between all those uh, those pieces have, have caused the uh, um, them to form into the shape of the smiley face. There's, there's a bunch of other um, uh, shapes that he made, like uh, stars and triangles. Uh, they can also be made into 3D shapes or like continuous lattices in, in two or three dimensions. There's a great range of structures that can be made. It's a very flexible technique. Yeah. And in order to see this sort of art, what do you need? Well, it's very, very small. It's, uh, it's on the nanoscale. The distance between a, a kilometre and uh, a centimetre is the same again from a nanometer to a millimetre. I'm not sure if that's right. It's very, very small. It's too small, in fact, to see with light, the sort of light that we see. It's, it's very much shorter than the wavelength of light, and so it needs to be imaged using either electrons, using electron microscopy, or using a technique called atomic force microscopy, which is a, a bit like molecular braille, where you basically tap down um, and scan across the, the surface where you think that your, uh, your structure will be, and um, it will tap just a little bit shorter uh, if there's something there. So you'd have to visit one of the universities and ask them to have a look for you? Yeah, that's right. To image or to, to see, actually see the structures that we're making, we need to go to a special facility. Uh, at the moment I'm going to UNSW and there's a couple of uh, atomic force microscopy units there. Um, they're very good to, to allow us to use those. And this is open source? 
So you were talking about open source logbooks, human practice, and a whole lot of other principles like that? That's right. Both the iGEM and Biomod competitions, uh, one, of the, one of the things that you need to do or one of the things that they, they ask of you is to be involved in the competition is to record all of your work, uh, all of your designs and all of your laboratory results uh, in a Wikipedia-style page where they can sort of interlink. And uh, those are available freely on the web um, from now to whenever they, they hold the service for the human practices and uh, open source materials. They apply specifically to the iGEM project uh, because synthetic biology and genetic engineering, whilst they have a great potential for, uh, for improving lives, they also carry significant risk and risk that we don't know about. So they encouraged all their students and participants to uh, interact with, with society at large, to be civic about their work, to encourage outreach and communication. And all the work they do in terms of the parts and the genes that they, uh, they develop submitted to something called the Registry of Standardized Biological Parts, which are freely available. That's not to say they're not without cost, but there's no IP, that's intellectual property uh, attached to them. So any work that's done through iGEM um, cannot be patented, as I believe. And there's free tools you can use for designing uh, and modeling these sort of things? Yeah, that's right. In the Biomod competition, where we might use DNA origami, it's a lot of DNA to look at. We're talking about in the order of thousands and thousands of GTs, A's and C's. So it's very uh, helpful to have open source uh, programming tools uh, that, that can aid the design. Uh, there's a, there's a computer-aided design software um, that's, that's free and freely available called CAD Nano um, in its second installment and that's uh, yeah it can be downloaded for free and anyone can have a play around and see what kind of DNA origami structures they could build. And you were saying there was an online modeling one as well? Yeah that's right you can take the output from the CAD or take the CAD Nano file and uh, submit it to an online server source called CanDo and they will uh, they will model it in 3D and also uh, model some, uh, some mechanics, some thermal mechanics, uh, see how it might behave in Brownian motion. Uh, at this scale, there's a lot of jostling around of like water molecules and whatnot, and the things that are on the sort of uh, the outer fringes of the structures are liable to flap around a bit, and it gives you a, a little indication of like how much flapping you might get. So you can get an idea of what things might look like before you've actually tried to build it all. Yeah, that's right. You never know until you actually look at it, uh, but it gives you a, a dynamic model which you can't use, can't uh, achieve using the AFM, uh, Atomic Force Microscopy. And it's a really helpful thing to do because things are so small and they can't be uh, imaged in real time. 3D modeling is really the best way to understand and to communicate what is actually being built. You also talked about the benefits of the competitions. Yeah, that's right. Both these competitions, well, uh, iGEM certainly are very empowering educational experiences. They're a chance for undergraduate students in the past and now just about anyone with access to a lab, which may still not be a very large set of people, to go in and actually act like a researcher rather than a student, um, to take control of the project and really 
understand what it's about, to make decisions and drive it and be, be emotionally connected or, or have some kind of like uh, intellectual investment in the outcome rather than just caring about marks. And finally, you mentioned some meetings, synthetic biology meetings? Yeah, that's right. A few of the people that have, uh, that have been involved in iGEM and other researchers that are involved in synthetic biology have started up a, a group called the Synthetic Biology Society for Sydney. And this is just a, a bit like a reading club, but for science. And anyone is really welcome to come. We go through a foundational basics of synthetic biology as well as recent uh, advancements in research the implications and applications of synthetic biology work and just discuss what kind of a future might be built with synthetic biology and if people want to find out about either the synthetic biology group or about the competitions where should they look if you'd like to know more about the competitions uh, you can look at uh, iGEM, just Google iGEM and likewise with Biomod. Uh, if you're interested in the work that we're doing with Biomod, you can email me at biomodaustralia at gmail.com. And if you're interested in the Synthetic Biology Society, uh, feel free to email me. Oh, just email at biomodaustralia.com. Well, Andrew, thank you very much. Okay, thank you. That was Andrew Tuckwell talking about hacking biological machines at the iGEM and Biomod competitions. You can contact him at biomodaustralia at gmail.com. And that's all from us this week on Diffusion. Would you like to join us? We need more people contributing stories to Diffusion. You can send your contributions, opinions, congratulations, standing ovations, gasps of amazement, and helpful suggestions to science at diffusionradio.com. That's science at diffusionradio.com. And please do send me an email so I know you're listening and you'd like to hear more episodes. If you're doing something sciencey and cool, tell me the story and send me some photos. Please like the Diffusion Science Radio page on Facebook and rate us on iTunes. Checking production this week was Charles Willock. I produced Diffusion, which is broadcast around Australia on the Community Radio Network and 2HHH in Hornsby, Karingai. Diffusion is syndicated on the National Science Foundation's Science360 internet radio station. You can now hear Diffusion on Stitcher, radio on demand and on the go. Download the free app from stitcher.net and review Diffusion. Ask your local radio station to broadcast Diffusion. Subscribe to our podcast on the Diffusion website, www.diffusionradio.com. That's www.diffusionradio.com. And check the website for more information about this week's show. There's usually videos and photos and links. You support Diffusion by downloading a free book from Audible. Audible will sponsor Diffusion for everyone who signs up for the free 30-day trial and downloads the free book of their choice from audibletrial.com science. That's science with a capital S. Or look for the donate button on www.diffusionradio.com to contribute to the costs of producing the podcast. I'm Ian Wolfe. Join us inside your audio device of choice for more science wondering next week on Diffusion Science Radio. Looking at the URL, the first thing that sticks out is the colon. And how about a slashing or cutting sound for the slashes? 
to complete the experience, we might throw in the HTTP and maybe some kind of download sound. www.diffusionradio.com Lachlan Watmore on guitar. Ha, ha, ha.